1 Peter 3, 13-17. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers, followers of that which is good? But and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, and that's what we're going to be talking about primarily tonight. If you suffer for righteousness' sake, what a strange thing. You think the righteous would be blessed and the, and the evildoers would suffer. But in this life as believers, we understand that's not always the case. He says, Happy are you, for, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good works, your good conversation in Christ. That's the key word there. They falsely accuse you. People can bring things against your life as a believer that aren't true. Let it be untrue. Amen? If it's something sinful, if it's something that's not honoring to God. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. So we're just going to stop there. The next verse ties into it, but I think we'll be doing good just to get through this tonight. But suffering. Okay, the word suffer or suffering is a couple of times in this passage. And this is a special kind of suffering. There's a special kind of suffering, okay? And you think suffering is just nothing but <clears throat> depression and heartache and, and all that. Suffering for the Lord is different. He says, happy are ye. Okay? How can that be? Well, we're going to look at how that can be as we go through this passage tonight. When the righteous are suffering at the hands of those who hate the light, they hate the Jesus that's in you. They might not even know consciously and made a choice to say, I hate Jesus. But they don't have the Lord and they don't like the light that's in you. Okay? And so, when, when Jesus, the, the, the in, incarnation of the Lord, when the Word, the eternal Word, the eternal Son from eternity past became flesh 2,000 years ago, robed Himself in a human body like we have, and walked on this earth, what, was, what it inevitably led to was what? The cross. There was persecution. There was suffering. There was times He was real popular. There was times the multitudes were happy because He's feeding them and He's making their blind eyes to see. He's making their lame to walk and cleansing the lepers of their leprosy. There were times and moments where it was very great joy and jubilation. So Hosanna in the highest. And he's going in, but He's going to the cross. That's what, when He was born in, as in that manger, and the Word became flesh, inevitably ahead of Him was the cross. And it's not going to be any different. The Word of God tells us that we would be disillusioned and just dead wrong if we thought when I give my life to Jesus, everything's going to be a zippity-doo-dah day. Everything's just going to be a bed of roses and wonderful. There is a cross that we take up daily and follow the Lord. Okay, And He says, if they treated Me, the Master, this way, do not at all be surprised if they treat the servant that way. The servant is not going to be treated better than the Master. If Christ is our Master and we are born of Him, born of His Spirit, and we think, well, they put Him on the cross, but the world's okay with Me. You know, everything's fine with Me. No, we can expect the same treatment. The Bible says, yea, all that will live godly. That's such an important word. And I think it's, I don't even know if it's First or Second Timothy. But yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Okay, so that is what we're talking about. We're talking about suffering for righteousness' sake. We're not talking about suffering because you robbed the Circle K and you got caught. Okay, 
or you, you know, something you broke some law of man, or you were a jerk, or you were unfaithful to your spouse, and you got caught, and and now there's some consequences for that. We're talking about doing what God has called us to do openly before men and privately in our own hearts and in our home, and 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 we suffer because of it. Does it happen? Are there are there professors on college campuses that get passed over? for promotions or headships because they're a Christian and they stand for the Lord on college campus in this age of tolerance and, and everything like that? Absolutely. You could write volumes on I read a book that thick on things like that. And that book's 15 years old. I can imagine now. In, in every area of public life, politics, school, college campuses, the workplace, wherever you would look, there's going to be the Christians that are persecuted not because they're doing wrong and not paying their taxes, and not because of something like that, but because they're doing right what God has called us to do in Jesus' name. And so don't be surprised. Don't be depressed. Go to the Word of God and go to the Lord Himself to receive the instruction, the wisdom. What's going on here, God? Let Him speak to you. And I believe tonight, in part, He'll speak to us about that. It's absolutely going to happen, okay? And I just use college campuses because that's such a, uh, I guess, a hotbed of tolerance and, and, and uh, that, that phrase, all that type of worldliness is sort of introduced in schools and on the college campuses and it trickles down to every area of life. And so, uh, you know, we, we see it. It's part of what we go through. And whatever is born of Christ is not going to be of this world. And not what He tells us in His Word. If we're born, you know, you're either, you're either of the world or you're of Christ. Doesn't matter what religion you join, in one sense, you know, if it's not Christ that has begotten you by faith and I'm born of His Spirit, then I'm still of the world. That's it. There's really only two camps. In Christ or out of Christ. And that you're either of Adam and that sinful nature of Adam, and then you're if you are, then you're just part of this world and this world system. The world has a way about it, doesn't it? The world has a system. The world functions and operates in a certain way. We're self, 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 promoting self. What's you know, and, and everything that appeals to self. And yet, when we're born of the Spirit of God, we're captured by another, infatuated with another, born of another which is really the key aspect, we de definitely have a different origin. I'm no, no longer just a child of Adam. I still have that nature that, that until I receive my new body, that's going to be part of, of the deal. But I'm born of God's Spirit. The world does not know anything about that. Does not know anything about it. It is not a partaker. The Bible says we're a partaker of His divine nature. That is an amazing thing. It's uncreated God, and I've been a no good sinner all my life, and yet by faith, He saved me. I put my faith in Him, and He saved me. And He decided, as part of that new birth, to put His Spirit in me and to make me a new creature in Christ. And that new creature is created in true holiness and godliness. That new creature is... Christ in you, the hope of glory. We are literally walking around in these earthen vessels. The Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So I have this Holy Ghost of the Lord, Jesus Christ Himself, in this old body that's falling apart and the hair's falling out and I can't run as fast as I used to, can't jump as high as I used to and get sick and all that's going on, but Christ is in me. 
And, and I have the gift of eternal life. And He's in you if you've given your life to the Lord. Well, the world knows nothing about this. And so, as the Lord lives through you and I, we're almost on a... Now, we know our ultimate goal, right? To live as Christ, to die as gain. We have an eternity set before us that's unshaken, un- unmovable. The Lord has it prepared for us in glory. A new body, an eternity where we don't have all this sinful things around us or even wrestling with it ourselves. Okay? That is ultimately out there. But in between here and there, we walk with the Lord. We're kept by the power of God. But we're almost on a daily collision course, aren't we? We're like on a collision course daily. Some new uh, decree comes down. Some new law is passed. Some new policy in the workplace. Some new policy in the school. Some new sinful thing that's all, all of a sudden accepted as being normal and wonderful. And we as Christians say, no, that's not normal. I'm not going to pat, pat you on the back for doing that. I'm going to tell you about my Lord and Savior. And you can believe there's going to be collisions. We're on a collision course. I want you everybody to uh, keep your spot there in First Peter, but turn with me to John chapter 3. I want to read a Scripture here. John chapter 3. We don't pull our answers out of thin air. We get them from the Word of God. Amen? In John chapter 3, verse 18, we'll read through 21. He that believeth on Him... Now this is the Lord speaking. He just said, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, right? And then here He says in verse 18, He that believeth on Him speaking about Christ Himself, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. And he's going to give a picture of it here, that light, that's the Lord, is coming to the world. And men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved or rebuked, or he be convicted of them. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Do you see two different camps? Do you see two different lives? Do you see two different paths? They're not Light and darkness do not mix. We say it all the time. If you came in here and in the middle of the night flipped on these lights, it's going to light up. Okay, The light and dark do not mix. And, and think about that in Genesis. The first thing when, when I say reading the Bible, you open your Bible and start reading it like a book. Page 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Right? And then he goes on to say, and God separated the light from the darkness. That's in the very first passage in the Bible. God separated the light from the darkness. Because there's a separation and He wants it to be there. And when you go through this life as a child of God, there is to be a God-ordained separation. It's not in a separation to where uh, you and I are arrogant or are prideful and I'm just not fooling with them and that guy smells like he's got whiskey on his breath. I'm not going to talk to him. And that, you know, it's not that we go through life like that. There is a separation. They're not born of God. I am born of God. I'm not going to live like I'm still lost. I'm going to live like a child of God. And God's going to help me to do that. It will not be popular everywhere we go. It probably won't be popular most places that we go. But yet we're still here. Just picture a salt shaker, right? On the earth. We're the salt and the light. And He sprinkles us around. Because guess what? Through your testimony and through the Gospel coming through your life, somebody's going to come to know Jesus. Prayerfully, many people. Doesn't mean most people. But still many people. The Lord says, by all means, save some. Okay? Bring some. 
but we see that there's not, there's not a mixture and there's not supposed to be. And the church is in a grave situation whenever it thinks that there's to be this blending together. How can I get along well with the world? How can I make Cornerstone Church or my Christianity or my God or my doctrine more appealing to the world? How can I fit in better? How can I find some happy medium to where it's not this stark contrast where the Lord's saying, stop it. Stop looking for that place. There's supposed to be a stark contrast. doesn't mean we're unloving. We ought to love the sinner. Hate the sinful life that he's in. Don't compromise with it. Don't excuse it. Don't pat him on the back and say it's okay. A lot of times we'll pat people all the way to hell and they die and go to hell and we never told them the truth. Some favor we did them. Some, some love we showed them, right? God wants there to be that separation. If they're going to be saved, they're going to be saved through the belief in this Gospel. And if they're going to be saved, they're going to be saved by the true testimony of Christ that they see in another person's life. If you're just like they are, why in the heck should they come to the Lord? You understand what I'm saying? If we're just a little bit better than them, maybe we, we don't go out and drink as much as we used to. What's the big deal? No, but the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. There's a big difference. Wages of sin is death. The gift of God. Somebody's going to die one of two ways. In their sin and carrying the weight of their sin, or they're going to die with, with having been forgiven and cleansed and the Lord lifting the weight and the guilt and the judgment and the punishment that comes for that sin off of their lives. There's liberty. And there's freedom from sin. So you can turn back to, uh, to 1 Peter if you will. And we're just going to treat this little passage that we read like, like a, a sermon, like a message. And, and what's the origin of it? And the origin, I think we've looked at it already, is that, is that the man of God is almost like a conscience that the lost man doesn't want around. Think about it like that. We are to be an embodiment of, thus saith the Lord, and say this is true. How do I know it's true? Because He saved me just like His Word said. He talks about the Holy Spirit coming upon us and coming and live to live in us. He did, did that in my life. He talks about sins being forgiven. He did that for me. He talks about changing our heart's desires so we no longer want the sin anymore, but we actually want God and the things of God. He did that for me. Now, I'm testifying personally myself. He did that for me. And He's still doing that for me. It doesn't mean I never struggle with the temptation or even commit a sin. But the whole pattern of my life is not what it used to be. And the affections and desires of my heart and life, honestly, in my heart of hearts, is to please God. I want to. And then I stumble and fall and I don't. Because at times I take my eyes off the Lord and I get back in myself or my flesh. But it's a testimony. And we are to be that conscience, basically, for the world. You know, it's like the world, your family. Let's say you're the only believer in your family or the only believer in the workplace or in your classroom or your group of friends, whatever. Then, then you're going to have a total different mindset, a total different morality, and, a, and genuine convictions from the Lord. And they don't want to be around that. Now, if I cover it up and act like I don't have that conviction, then I'll find a way to blend in for a while. God's going to make you miserable. He's not going to let you do that. He has said if salt has lost its savor, it's good for nothing. Okay? Men just trample you underfoot. That's what he says. And so the, the world does not want to be around us because it brings conviction upon their lives. 
Even if you're not saying anything. It doesn't mean we look down our noses like this at everybody. Oh, he's smoking a cigarette. Mm, look at my, you know, it's not that we go through life like that. It's that we really are Christians. We really have the Holy Ghost in us. I'm not trying to pretend, uh, be prudish is kind of like a word where I think I'm holier than thou. He has made us holy. That's really part of my life. Now, should I try to cover that up so this person doesn't feel convicted about their sin? I'm not trying to ju be judgmental. It's the Lord in us and in our life and in our lifestyles. And, and it says in 1 Corinthians 6 that such were some of you. He says some of you were adulterers and fornicators and idolaters and drunkards. You used to be that. So we can understand the plight of the sinner. We can understand where he is and be compassionate to the sinner. But he says such were some of you because I'm not that anymore. And I'm not to pretend like I am when I'm around a certain group of lost people to make them like me. So what? They don't need another buddy. They need a Savior. They don't need a, a, a buddy and somebody just rub them on the shoulder and, and tell them everything's great. They need somebody to tell them the truth. We would all be lost if somebody hadn't told us the truth. We're a room full of people that have been born again because somebody, could have been your mom, dad, somebody told you the truth and you believed it and you're thanking God. You can remember who it was and you say, thank the Lord for so-and-so in my life. It hurt when they first told me. Maybe it did because you don't want to hear it. You know? but yet it needed to be uh, that way. And so the, the, the persecution arises because it, it reflects upon their sinfulness. And I mean, lost people's sinfulness. Not that we're trying to do that. It's just a reality. Uh, the, the godliness in the believer actually uh, changes the, the environment around. You understand what I'm saying? We don't have to be uh, more in number necessarily. Like I said, just picture the, the salt sprinkled around. Salt is going to be a preservative and it's also going to add the flavor and so, so forth. And the Bible says, let your speech be seasoned with salt. When the early church was persecuted in the book of Acts and they fled, it started in Jerusalem, right? And they went everywhere preaching the Gospel. This was in light of the persecution. So they didn't have; they weren't the most uh, numerous in any new community or town or village that they went to, but they were there nonetheless. Christ in them was seen, and and the gospel spread, and the church grew. And the world still opposing it, just like it is in our day. And what I want to talk about for just a moment here is that it's it's actually a, a shame that we don't face maybe more persecution than we do when you really think of it. Because if we were really living the way our forefathers in the faith lived, I believe we would. I'm not saying we go out looking for trouble. And I always say that. You don't say, tomorrow I'm going to go stir up a hornet's nest and try to get thrown in prison or get fired from my job. We don't do that. But we can say tomorrow, Lord, I've compromised and I've been quiet and, and I know you've led me to take a stand where I am and I haven't done it and I've compromised and I don't want to be ashamed of the Gospel. Like Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ. I'm going to start living for you. He might let you win everybody in your office to the Lord. He might allow you to get fired. I don't know. But I know that if we lived more godly, 
that I believe we would actually see more persecution. I believe we'd also see a lot more miracles. I believe we see also see a lot more people being saved. And a lot of things we read about in the Bible and we say, why didn't God do that anymore? Why don't I see a blind person's eyes open? Why don't I see 3,000 people getting saved at one sermon? Maybe because we don't live for God day in and day out. Publicly. I'm not saying you're not a Christian or I'm not a Christian. I'm including myself in this. There should be a real contrast between the light and the darkness. Not just in Genesis 1, not just in Jerusalem in the, in the days of Acts in the early church, but in this country, in our lives, in this city, when we come in contact with other people. And so I believe if there was a daily practice of, of that, that we would see more of everything. We would see the Lord working and He would be much more glorified through us. Jesus said the world cannot hate you. Speaking to the, the world itself. The world doesn't hate the world. The world loves the world. But, but the world does hate the one who's been born of God's Spirit and lives like it. Like I said, they, they, they might even be able to put their finger on it. You know, the world doesn't hate Islam. We don't like the terrorist acts and so forth, but they're accepted. The world doesn't hate the Hindus or the atheists or the agnostic or the good old boys or the New Agers or whatever. The world as a whole doesn't try to silence them and shut them down. But the world's going to hate us. The Bible says that. The world's going to hate us. And the Bible says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Okay? The friendship with the world is enmity with God. I want to read one quote. It says, the absence of a book I'm reading, the absence of the world's hate proves that we do not testify against it, that its works are evil. The warmth of the world's love proves that we are of its own. Maybe not in every way, but in some ways. Okay? I want to read one scripture. So turn with me, keep your spot, and I will turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Probably could just quote this scripture. <clears throat> But I want you to see it, Ephesians 5.11. There's a whole list of commandments to the believer, to the born-again person. But I want to look at one verse. Ephesians 5.11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Short little verse. And I think so many times, y'all, we just we might stop at the first part and say, okay, I know I'm not to have any fellowship with ungodly things. Everybody's hanging out at the bar and drinking. As a Christian, I know I'm not supposed to be part of that. Okay? We're good with that. Everybody's going to Bourbon Street. Everybody's doing this. Everybody's watching some filth on TV or on their phone. I know I'm not supposed to be part of that. Those are unfruitful works of darkness. Lying. Lying to the boss. Lying to the teacher. Lying to your spouse. Trying to get away with something. I know that that's not of God. So I won't do that. But it doesn't end there. It says, but rather reprove them. Now that's where it's a proactive thing. That is where it means to convict or to convince, literally to testify against them. And guess what? That's going to include some people. Because sins don't just happen out of the air. Sins happen from sinful men. And so, yes, we still love the sinner, but we can reprove the sin and we can prove their works that are going on as God leads us. It's not my personal crusade, nor am I called to go through this life and point out every sin of everybody and everything that's going on. There are times when we are called to do it. 
And we need to know when to do it. And I think most times we back off and we don't do it. It's not enough to abstain from doing these things ourselves or fellowshipping with those that do. He says, but rather reprove them. There is a godly way to do that. Be prayed up. Be mature. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with His love. Care about the person you're talking to. But still do it. Okay? It's not to show that I'm better than them and look how horrible you are. It's to say this is not of God. This Thus saith the Lord. The wages of that sin, if you persist in it, is death. God can forgive you of that. God can bring you out of that. God can give you new desires so you don't want that anymore. It's wonderful. Come to know the Lord. But He says reprove them. It means literally to testify against them. Okay? And again, in this day and age where the church is trying to find its happy little place with the world and be the most popular church in town. Uh, we're going to do country western music to try to get people to come to our church. We're going to do a rock and roll night at our church. Not Christian even rock and roll, if there is such a thing, but rock and roll to try to get people to come and, and, you know, and lure them in. This is so The Word of God is so contrary to that. Reprove the works of darkness. Preach the Gospel to them. Love them. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go to them. Help them. Help them. They may not want you to help them. But you go as an ambassador for Christ. And I'm to go as an ambassador for Christ. If God shuts that door, and maybe in that life, and that one you're witnessing to, God may have someone else down the road that praying for them and interceding for them is going to come to them later. And He'll send me to somebody else. But until we get to heaven, that's pretty much it. You know what I mean? That's, that's the life that we're to live and, and we're called to live. And so a lot of times I think we, we back off from that. Let's look at this real, real quickly. It says, blessed are ye when you're persecuted. This blessedness is more than even happiness. Okay? It includes that. It's just a blessed by God. He says, blessed are you when, when, uh, when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. Happy are you. And he tells us to be that and account it joy and so forth when we're persecuted for righteousness sake for one thing is we know that we're part of we're on the Lord's side and he's familiar with it and godly prophets and men and women of God that have gone before us had suffered the same thing we're part of good company you understand what I'm saying and we have the hope that's set before us that the Lord has for us I just want to read a couple of, of quotes you know we have our heritage, our Christian heritage, it has nothing to do with the nationality or race. It has to do with being born again. That heritage, okay? We have fathers and mothers in the faith in years gone by. That Fox's Book of Martyrs, if you've ever read it, real accounts of real people uh, that that died at the stake or at the fire or drowning, but because of their their stand for the Lord. And one of the martyrs testified to this inner blessedness that he received when he was going to, to be burned at the stake. He said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord as he was condemned to die. He knew where he was going. I mean, there's such a reality to that that I think a lot of us, we, we read the little stories and we get a little teary-eyed and I do the same thing. But for these people, that was real. They're sending him to the state because he's a Christian. And he won't recant or renounce his faith. And he stands strong and says, no, I'll stand here, I'll live here, I'll die here, but I'm going to be right here on Jesus. 
And they said, where are you going to die for that? And he says, I'm glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. He's not making this stuff up. John Bunyan was in a Bedford jail. And he says, he says when he's in this little tiny, and I read a book about him, you know, the one that wrote Pilgrim's Progress and things like that. And a little tiny, I forgot how big the cell was, barely enough room to, to stand up, okay? And that's where he spent years. And he said that he, and he was quoted as looking at these dark, damp walls. He goes, Methinks that, that uh, they put roses in my, at my feet as they were lighting the fire, the sticks that were around it. He looked at the at the prison cell and he looked at the, the, the sticks that were to be lit on fire while he was tied up to the post. He looked at that and he says, this is just like they threw roses all around me to me. Well, that's, is he just being really brave and then when people aren't looking, he's going to fall apart? No, I think God strengthened him in a mighty way. But I think he lived with the Lord also to such a way that that it, Christ was a reality. I mean, it wasn't reality to him. He wasn't searching for the Lord at the last minute. Lord, I really need you now. He did really need the Lord now, and God was really there for him. Don't get me wrong. But he had walked with the Lord. He had a communion with God that I may know him and the fellowship of his suffering. And John Bunyan knew the fellowship of the Lord's suffering. There's a joy. That's the blessedness that we're talking about. In the midst of it, is a joy. Not just, oh, they let me go. They let me out of prison. Now I'm free to go back to my family. Not just that, but the joy in the suffering. In it. Because Christ is in the fire with us. He was in the fire with the three Hebrew boys. He didn't just say, come out of there. When King Nebuchadnezzar looked in the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there was a fourth man in the fire. And it was the Son of God. So there was a fellowship. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't having they didn't want to get out the fire. <laughs> you know, they're in there with the Lord. Where would you rather be? Not only that fellowship in the fire, but where we know by faith that we're heading. It says all these, you know, died in the faith in Hebrews 11. But they, they died being living destitute and living in caves and, and having their children taken from them and sawn asunder, it says, and beheaded and, and poor and have their possessions taken from them. Because they're looking for another city. The world's at home in the world. The Christian is at home in heaven. And we need to know that. That needs to be a reality, not just when I die and go to heaven. God wants that to be a reality for us now. I think we'd be a lot better, stronger, more effective witnesses for Christ if we lived that way now. And that's what this next Scripture talks about. And I love this Scripture in verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to, an, to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Again, we're not just um, recordings or robots that walk through life saying Jesus died for your sins. Okay? We're living, breathing, born-again people that know this Christ. And we have been given this Gospel. It's been entrusted to us. There are times He would have us to speak. There are times He would have us to be quiet. We need to know the difference. In order for me to know the difference, I need to walk closely with the Lord. My sheep hear my voice and they follow. It's a pattern. Not, oh, we're getting ready to go hand out tracks on 3rd Street. Let's pray real quick. I'm all for that too. But wouldn't it be better if we stayed in communion with the Lord? And He says, tonight I want you to go hand out tracks on 3rd Street. 
or whatever it is. And we're led by the Lord. There's times to be quiet. There's times that the conversation is over. You're casting your pearl before swine. You've done enough. Pray for them and let somebody else water the seeds that you planted. Okay? That's it. And so we're not just robots going through life. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. But everything in our life ought to be so different than this dark world that's around us that they come, somebody's going to come and say, what is it, Chris, that's different about your life? What is it, Rachel, that's different about your life? I've known you for 10 years working up here in the office. What's the deal? You know, I see this about you. I notice that about you. I notice this peace about you. This joy. And what is it? And, so, and be ready always. The reason is Jesus. The hope is Christ. The Gospel is for you. The same Gospel by which I was saved and believed in, you can be saved and believed in. And so we have to be ready to give that, that positive you know, profession of faith that's sensible, that's biblical. Okay, And, and uh, we say it all the time, your personal testimony is huge. If I share the Gospel with somebody that I've known for 20 years, but they've never seen me live like a Christian, or me live much different than they do, they're probably not going to put a lot of stock in this life-changing Jesus and Gospel. Because my life's not really that different, at least what they've seen. Okay, It has to be a difference to that. And so we're not to walk in fear of that. Backing up the verse right before it, it says, but and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happier you. It says, neither be uh, afraid of their terror. And I just want to read this from Isaiah uh, 7 and 8. There was a report that was brought uh, to David had died by this time, but whoever was the king of the time, that Syria and, and Ephraim have made a league and they're coming against you, house of David. Okay, these nations have made a league and they're coming against you. And it says his heart was moved, and the heart of the and the heart of the people was moved. They were shaken. They were like trees, trees that were moved with the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah's servant, "You go tell them with a strong hand, saying, Do not join the, this panic-stricken people. You don't have to jump in and be afraid like they're afraid. Okay, don't don't do that. And, and you don't have to try to muster up the biggest army you can and say, Okay, they got Syria and Ephraim. They got about this many hundred thousand soldiers. I'll try to get Egypt over here to come help me. Don't do that." He said, "Don't meet confederacy with confederacy, or league with league." Fear not their fear, nor be, their, nor be afraid. This is the Scripture. But sanctify the Lord of hosts Himself. Let Him be your fear. And let Him be your dread. And He shall be for you a sanctuary. Amen? And so, the world comes against us. And we're going to bring this to a close here pretty soon. The world comes against you for your righteousness sake. For living for God. And you say, well, I didn't count on that. Count on it. He wants you to know it. But He also wants you to know it's a blessed life. There's joy in it. And there's joy set before you. Okay? But He says, don't suffer for His sake. Don't panic. Don't say, well, what can I do? Let's see if I can get a majority in my office you know, to side with me. No, it's not about that. The Lord is siding with you. And sanctify the Lord God in your heart. You know what that means to sanctify in this case? It means to separate. Set Him apart. And how can you set the Lord apart in your heart? Well, you already give your life to Christ. 
but I think we can sanctify the Lord of hosts in our heart, set Him apart, as I said at the very beginning, as being Lord. Everything falls under Him. He's set apart in my heart. Jesus and Christianity is not mixed with a blend of other things. What I want and what makes me happy and what the world says I should have and the advice of Oprah or Dr. Phil. It's not all blended in there together. I've sanctified the Lord in my heart. I've set Him up. I'm going to live here. I'm going to die here. I'm staying right here. Sanctify the Lord in your heart. Not in your minds only, but in your hearts. Your affections, your love. The first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Set Him apart as the love of your life. And He will be for you, what? A sanctuary. What is a sanctuary? It's a safe place. It's a safe haven. The world's roaring around us. Okay? Coming against us. The walls are pressing in, so to speak. It's getting harder and harder on LSU campus to share the Gospel with somebody else. Okay? Or to have a job there and to openly be a Christian. It's pressing in on us. But if we'll set, set the Lord apart, again, we're not looking for trouble. We're looking for God. And we're not going to compromise. And what comes to that, comes to that. It's only what God would allow. Not looking for trouble, but understand there's probably going to be some trouble. There's probably going to be some sacrifices. There will probably be some confrontations. And in the end, it's all of God. Not that I just go out to be a jerk. And I say that all the time. I don't want to be a jerk in myself. You know, shame you're going to hell. And you're, you know, just let the Lord live through you. Privately, publicly, tell people the truth. And, and He will be for us a sanctuary. Amen? He's going to be that sanctuary for us. And so, I'm going to close with this thought that the, that the fear of the Lord. Y'all, it's one fear driving out another fear. Ever seen, uh, it's tragic, and I don't make light of it at all. Somebody that's in a burning building, they come to a place where they're going to jump out the window even if they're afraid of heights. You understand what I'm saying? One fear drove out another fear, basically. And so, if the fear of the Lord, which is a good thing, a reverential fear, I'm not afraid of God where I want to get away from Him. It's a reverential, holy fear that I don't want to offend this God. More than anything or anyone on this planet, I don't want to offend God. My friends might be offended. My family might be offended. But more than anything, I don't want to offend God. That is a good thing. That is a healthy thing. And if I fear God fully, then I don't need to fear anything else because God is greater. I'll be safe even if, if He lets me be burned at the stake. Okay? Or He lets me go and, I, and I'm, you know, I live to a ripe old age. Either way, the fear of the Lord is going to drive that out. Okay? And, and there's no other fear. David said, Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. From the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. The time of trouble. Do you have times of trouble? Yes. Or you have more times of trouble and maybe bigger trouble than you've ever had before? Yes. And in those times of trouble, he himself is going to take little Randy or little Damien or whoever it is, and he's going to hide us in his pavilion. His pavilion. And we're going to be safe. And the world doesn't understand that. It doesn't like it. It doesn't get it. But it is something by faith we believe because God tells me so in His Word. 
Amen? And, and He makes those promises real in our heart. And He says to be ready to give an answer for a reason that's a hope with you. We'll close with this. There's a reason to it, y'all. This is not just because I say so. Why should I come to Jesus? Because I say so. Why should I come to Jesus? Because I think He's the greatest. Well, good for you. You know, uh, why? Be ready to give a reason that God is the Creator of us all. He created you. He loves you. Christ died for your sins. If you persist in your sin, there's, you're going to die in the weight of your sins. And you don't have to. You can be forgiven. You can be cleansed. You can come to know this God that made you. The best friend you could ever have in the world. Be ready to give a reason. I responded to the Gospel by faith. I believed in Jesus. I didn't know it all, but I knelt down and gave my life to the Lord one day when my friend or whoever shared the Gospel with me. Be ready to give a reason. Dave Hunt used to say, we don't check our brains out of the door. It's not like this is totally unreasonable. You know, we ought to be able to give a reason. Let it start with faith, okay? But it doesn't mean we're just totally unreasonable. It means that that, that reason is brought under subjection of faith. And God's Word says so. That's my reason. The faith, it starts with the faith. But it's not unreasonable to the man of faith, is it? Peter cast his net out even though he hadn't caught any fish all night. He cast it out again because the Lord told him to. There was faith and then he reasoned, well, Jesus said to do it. I better do it. There might be something to this. It wasn't unreasonable. It starts with faith. And God can sanctify our reasoning and make it what it should be. You know? But be ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. I'm just going to close with this. If somebody brings an accusation against your life as a Christian, it says let them they're going to be ashamed at some point. Not probably not while they're doing it. Maybe not for ten years, maybe not till they stand before the Lord one day. But at some point, those that bring false reports against Katie's life because of her Christ and her stand for Jesus and her day in and day out walk with the Lord, and the world around her doesn't like it, and they bring accusations against Katie, at some point, he says, they're going to be ashamed of their false accusations that they brought. Sure don't look like it, does it? They get louder and louder and more bold and scream more accusations and hate you more. At some point, prayerfully, it's before they die and face the Lord, but at some point, it says that they're going to be ashamed that falsely accuse you. Let it be false is what I'm saying. If the Lord, if somebody says, Randy, you're a liar. Lost man says to me, you're a liar. I pray that that's false. You understand what I'm saying? I don't want to give... They can say that I'm a liar, but I pray that if they searched and searched and really know the truth, that in my heart of hearts, I'm not a liar. They made it up. Just like they falsely accused Jesus. We heard Him do this, and we heard Him say that, and we... He's blasphemed God. Jesus never blasphemed God, but He was accused of it, right? Let it be false. If they bring an accusation against your life because of our holiness, personal, practical integrity, the Lord helping us, it's only by the Lord's help, let it be false. I don't want them to have an honest accusation about my life of some ungodliness. And if they do, then I want to be the first before they ever accuse me and say, you know what? You might not have heard this, but I lied yesterday. I lied to you. God convicted me. I repented. I asked Him to forgive you. Before He beat Him to the punch. I lied to God and I asked Him to forgive me. I lied to you yesterday 
And you didn't even realize that I lied to you, but it was a lie. It wasn't true what I told you. Would you forgive me? And they're going to think, look at you like you're, you're from Mars. Because they don't have the same conviction and they lie all the time and it doesn't bother them. What's He doing that for? Well, because Christ is in me and I'm, not, I'm different. And the Lord's in me and He's different. I want to close with that. D, if you can come. Just let, let Him be false. Let all who are uh, persecuted for righteousness' sake. This is a big topic we could talk about for a long time. Let it be... It's a thousand times better to suffer for righteousness' sake than for some wrongdoing in God's eyes. Okay, There's no blessedness that comes if we suffer for our own wrongdoing. Right? I talked about at the beginning. I did something wrong. I got caught for it. Oh me, I'm bearing my cross. I'm suffering for the Lord. No, you're not. You're being punished for what you did wrong and you got caught. A lot of times you hadn't got caught. This time you did. But it's a thousand times better to suffer for righteousness' sake because there's a God involved in the whole picture. He's going to help me and going to actually reward me and give me a joy and a peace and a blessedness in the midst of it. Amen? And, and so we're, we're heading home. And what I mean by that, this world is not our home. Remember that. If all we do every Wednesday and Sunday and when we gather here is remind ourselves that this world is not our home and God is God and He's got it and He's taking care of us, then we're doing a lot just in that. Amen? To remember that. So Father, we just come before You tonight. And Lord, first I want to ask that You would just give us an understanding of a reality of this. Not just technically what the Scriptures mean. But would you take by revelation knowledge of your spirit and reveal to our hearts and spirits and minds this blessedness that comes from suffering for righteousness sake. That you value it. To you, Lord Jesus, it's very valuable in the life of one of your children. It's special. You have a special reward in the midst of it and a special reward in heaven. And God, help us not to try to escape it, to try and find the path of least resistance, to find the path through life where we don't make any friends or enemies, basically. Help us to live unto God, to sanctify the Lord in our hearts, to where You're everything to us, God. Help us to understand. And then would You make us like our Lord and Savior. Make us like Paul who was persecuted. Make us like... Uh, Peter that was persecuted and John the Baptist who was beheaded. Not that we just want their end, but that we would have that testimony. Like those that we don't even know their names are Christian fathers in the faith over the years that died because they wanted to have a Bible they could read. Make us like them in in our heart of hearts. Make us like Jesus, Lord. Give us courage. Give us boldness. Give us a great love and compassion for sinful men. We don't hate them. Let them know we don't hate them. Let them know you don't hate them, God. Love them through us, but we we have no friendship with this world and this world system and its pleasures. pleasures. We want nothing to do with it, God. Would you just take a few minutes? We're just going to just have a few minutes for you to pray. Take the Word of God that's been spoken tonight and get on your face before the Lord. I know we're cramped. I know we're crowded. But turn around and kneel at that pew. Kneel at your chair.
to where you're not distracted and bow on your knees and on your face before the Lord and say, God, I need you. Forgive me. I've compromised you more times than I can remember. So many times I could have given a good profession of faith publicly and I did not. Would you forgive me? You know what He's going to do? He's going to forgive you. And tonight will be a new start for you. God, I want boldness. His answer to that boldness to live for Jesus Christ publicly, that His answer is to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and then to stay daily and continually filled with His Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. It's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Ask for forgiveness. Ask for boldness. Ask for understanding. Ask for courage. Ask for opportunities. Not just 10 years from now, but today. Tomorrow. Ask for an opportunity tomorrow to bring the Gospel to somebody 